At the end of the last chapter, the Tillerman children were in the park. They were determined to continue on their journey uh, the next day. And there were warning signs that they had to move because there was a police van that was patrolling the roads near where they were. So they had run into the woods and they had fallen asleep. Chapter 6. They awoke in pale pre-dawn light. Mist lay in patches along the ground. The wet, black trunks of trees loomed out of the foggy half-light. It's still true, James said. It was damp and their clothes were sodden. Dicey wanted to get moving right away. Ready? Let's use the bathrooms and then get out of here. Dawn gilded the sky when they arrived at the park entrance. The fear which had stayed when they beside them since the night before retreated at the promise of a bright morning. The sound of a car motor gave Dicey warning. She drew her family back into the cover of the woods. Why? James asked. Shut up! Dicey whispered fiercely. Lie down, lie still. I don't know, but I don't want anyone to see us. A police car, followed by another police car, roared along the main road. Both slowed down and turned onto the dirt road. They stopped just inside the gates, one behind the other. Leaving his motor running, a policeman got out of the first car and walked to the car behind him. His leather boots shone. He wore dark glasses and had a gun in his belt. He leaned into the window by the driver's side and unfolded a map that Dicey recognized as a map of the park. He pointed to parts of it. Dicey strained to hear what they were saying, but the motors drowned out their voices. The policeman nodded his head sharply, twice, and strode back to his own car. The flashing lights on top of the police cars were turned on. The two cars roared down the road. Let's go, Dicey said, on the double. They hurried down the road. What was it, James said. I don't know, Dicey said. Were they after us? James asked. I don't know, Dicey said. Or Lewis and Edie, James said. Nobody knew we were there. People knew Lewis and Edie were there. They bought food every day. We bought food too. Only that first day. How long ago was that? I can't remember. But we did take those lunches. Sammy did that. That wasn't us. Dicey thought aloud. Lewis and Edie are runaways, and maybe more. Anyway, we got away in time. The children walked the long morning through, conditioned by the earlier hard days, refreshed by the days at the park. Both their muscles and spirits were in good tone. The road wound south following the coastline. At noon, they rested by the roadside, leaning back against one of the low stone fences that ran all over this countryside. I'm hungry, James said. Aren't you? We haven't passed a store of any kind since that one town, Dicey answered, and no garages. Then, like a black fist punching at her head, she realized, my map. I don't even know where we are. How could I forget the map? 
Should we turn around? James asked. That down had a grocery store. That was miles back. Besides, you might as well know. We don't have much money left. Just 26 cents. I was going to try to get work at the store by the park, but as I was afraid we'd get too conspicuous when we had to stay. So now we have to keep going, Dicey said. We've seen railroad tracks, right? That means there must be no more towns ahead. But what'll we eat? James asked. For now, nothing. We can't. We'll just have to keep going and see what happens. If I had my map, I could see where the water is and we could fish or clam or find mussels. I need a map. They were tired when they stood up, more tired than when they had sat down. The folds of the hills and the symmetry of the trees no longer had the power to please them. They walked more slowly than before. The feeling that she did not know what to expect or when to expect it made Dicey jumpy. In an hour, they passed a sign marking the limits of a town called Soundview. Dicey felt better. Soon the houses sat closer together and the welcome sight of a small shopping center placed on two sides of a crossroads greeted them. Shopping centers on this road were quite different from those on Route 1. These were small, fancier. They had no huge parking lots, just a row of parking places right up against the sidewalk. Instead of large glass windows plastered with sale signs, these stores had small panes like house windows. Everything looked clean. Dicey instructed the other three to stay where they were while she crossed the street and went into a Texaco station. The office was occupied by one man with a fringe of hair around his shiny head who was dozing with his feet up on a wooden desk. He snored gently. His head snapped up as Dicey closed the door loudly. His blue eyes studied her. What can I do for you? I'd like a map, please, of Connecticut. He pulled out a drawer and selected one map from several file folders there. That'll be 50 cents, he said. But I don't have any money, Dicey said. Okay, he said. He replaced the map in his folder, closed the drawer, and once again raised his feet to the top of the desk. I have to have a map, Dicey said. Paper's expensive, kid. We don't give maps away anymore. Who does? Nobody, he closed his eyes. Dicey stood, chewing on her lip. Money, 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 always money. And she couldn't get into the drawer, find the right map, and get out the door. Not fast enough to make it. Mister, he opened his eyes. I really want one. That's tough on you, kid. I'm sorry. Could I work for one? Doing what? I don't know. There must be some chore, something, sweeping, washing. Are the bathrooms clean? My bathrooms are always sparkling clean, he said. He closed his eyes. Dicey stood thinking. She wondered if she could pump gas. It didn't look hard. That window, the man said. The office had a large plate glass window that faced the pumps in the street. That window needs washing. You know how to use a squeegee? 
Dicey didn't even know what a squeegee was. Sure, she said. I didn't get to it yesterday, the man said, lumbering into a closet and pulling out a bucket, a rag, and a long-armed utensil that had to be the squeegee. Inside and out, he said. Dicey nodded. All over and no streaks. Dicey nodded. If he would just let her get to work on it. I'll give you the map and a quarter too. Fair enough? Fair enough. Dicey began on the outside of the window. She signaled her family to wait, and James nodded to show he understood. The three sat down on the curb, facing Dicey. Dicey filled the bucket, added some cleanser from a bottle she found in it, sloshed the mixture together, and began spreading the water over the window. She did it in four sections, wetting the glass, pulling the squeegee down over it firmly, squeezing the squeegee out, and repeating the last step. The glass gleamed. Then she went inside and did the same thing. A few cars pulled in, <coughs> were filled with gas, and pulled out again. Every time a car pulled away, Dicey looked to be sure her three were still there. She finished, emptied the bucket, and put it away. The man came in from filling a car. He handed her a map and a quarter. You got an audience, he said. They're friends. Well, that's a good job. If you're around later in the week, thanks, mister, Dicey said. You earned it, kid. Dicey returned to her family, the map in her hand. You were ours, James said. I'm so hungry my stomach hurts. The map cost 50 cents, so I washed the window and got a quarter more, too. Let's eat, Sammy said. They walked along the front of the first section of the shopping center, but saw only a restaurant and some clothing stores. They crossed the street and entered a small market filled with specialty goods, delicatessen items, and huge, fancy pieces of fruit. Everything on the shelves cost much more than 51 cents. The people who worked in the store stared at the tillerman suspiciously, and Dicey hurried them out. But I want to eat, Sammy protested. I'll die if I don't eat. Dicey pulled him firmly out the door. Hush up! You don't know what people will think, she whispered fiercely in his ear. He snuffled. Look! You won't die, not in one day. Starvation takes days and days. A small bakery, its windows filled with decorated cakes and layered pastries, also did business in the second part of the shopping center. Dicey would not let them linger before its windows, but she sat them down around her on the curb just beyond it. Their knees were up against the fenders of a blue Cadillac car. Okay, Dicey said, we've got to do this smart. What do you mean, asked James. We've only got 51 cents, and around here that won't buy enough to feed even one of us. This is a ritzy area, so we want some bakery goods because they're cheapest, but not at full price. So we've got to make that lady in there feel like giving us a lot for our money, so we've got to make her feel sorry for us. James nodded. I'll go tell her how hungry I am, Sammy volunteered. No, you won't. 
and have her start asking questions? Dicey snapped. Her own stomach was taut within her, and she was having trouble thinking well. It's got to be done right, by the right person. That's you, isn't it? Jamesy, James asked. Not this time it isn't, nor you either. People don't take to us the right way, not at first. Maybeth would be the best one. Maybeth shook her head mutely. Her eyes grew large and stared at Dicey. I know, Dicey sighed. So, Sammy, it's you after all. Good old, Sammy said. Give me the money. Not so fast. If she asks you, we're staying in a, hummer, a summer house. Where? Dicey searched her memory. In old Lyme, and we went for a walk and got lost. And there's nobody home this afternoon to come and get us in the car. Do you have that? And we're hungry. That's if she asks you. What if she doesn't? We need enough food for lunch, and maybe dinner too, for just 51 cents. So, unless she'll give you two loaves of bread for it, sort of hem and haw, say that's too much. Tell her you've only got 51 cents. Ask her if this road will get us home. Be sort of brave and pitiful. Do you know what I mean, Sammy? But whatever happens, don't tell her the truth. He stood up, his legs sturdy and brown. He held out a dirty hand, and Dicey put the money into it. Can you do it, Sammy? I think so. If there isn't anything right to buy, don't buy anything. Dicey, I wouldn't do that. No, he wouldn't. He couldn't be bullied. They watched him walk back and enter the bakery. They heard a jingle of bells as he closed the door. Then they waited silently for what seemed a very long time, studying the front of the big car. It stared back at them with empty glass eyes. Dicey turned her head when she heard the shop door open with a jingling of bells. Sammy had a big, white bakery bag in one hand. In the other, he had a round cookie half-eaten. His eyes met Dicey's, and he quickly shoved the rest of the cookie into his mouth. It's fine, he said. She had a couple of old donuts and some rolls and a pie she said she couldn't sell after two days. She said she'd call our parents, but I said I didn't remember the phone number yet. She said maybe my sister would, so I said I'd come out and you'd tell her the number after you ate because I thought you were pretty hungry. Dicey jumped to her feet. Good job, Sammy, she said. Okay, let's go. I don't want to answer any more questions. We'll eat as soon as we're out of sight. We'll eat the pie. That's worth waiting a little for, isn't it? They trotted down the road and around a corner. Once out of sight, they sat on the grass to eat, breaking pieces of apple pie off with their fingers and licking all the sticky sauce before seizing another portion. They were too hungry to save much for later. Only two rolls were left in the white bag when Dicey put her map into it, rolled down the top, and led them off again. She wanted to get to a creek she had seen on the map. It was a little creek that fed into the mouth of the Connecticut River. There might be fish in it. 
If they could fish, then they could have breakfast before they set off. And then it wouldn't matter so much that they didn't have any money left. They didn't have one penny left, not one. Four miles up the road, they found the creek. Dicey led them up it, away from the road. The creek was bordered with marshes, but if you went a few yards back, the land got higher, drier. It was posted, no hunting, no fishing, no trespassing. But Dicey figured they had to risk it. A small fire during daylight hours, that wouldn't be so noticeable. She set James and Sammy fishing down by the creek and took Maybeth back into the trees. Together, they cleared a place for a fire, surrounded it with stones, then gathered twigs, leaves, and branches to burn, plus four slim branches on which they could thread the fish. For all their patient waiting, James and Sammy caught only two fish. Those Dicey cooked and shared out among them, dividing the fish and the two rolls evenly. It was not enough, not after a long day's walk. They went silent to sleep, hungry, thirsty, huddled together to keep warm. Dicey woke early and dug up some worms. She took the line and hook down to the creek and tried to catch breakfast. Fish bit in the early morning. The fishing boats that went out from Provincetown went out when night was still dark, so that as the first light brought out the fish, they could be there, nets down and ready. Birds awoke. The sun came up, although you couldn't see it, through overhanging clouds. The water gurgled quietly at Dicey's feet. She heard an occasional motorboat, far off, but no cars. However, off in the distance there was a humming that suggested heavy traffic. This noise was carried to her on a steady wind that blew from off the land toward the water. No fish were biting, not that morning. She heard James calling her with panic in his voice. Slowly, she trudged back to her family. I told you, Sammy said to James, because the fishing line was gone. I didn't know where you were, James said. Why didn't you say where you were going? You were asleep, Dicey answered. Let's get going. She did not say a word about eating. They did not ask her. It was a subdued four children who returned to the road, walked over the little bridge, and through a tiny town that didn't even have its own post office building, just one section of the laundromat set aside, and a small flag flying outside to show where the post office was. They walked through town and on, north along the Connecticut River. It was a low gray morning, and Dicey thought some day soon it would rain again. She didn't have the energy to care about that. Besides, you could drink rainwater. By noon, they were at the town of Old Lyme, and Dicey had identified the distant rubble, grown louder now as the throughway. Here, Route 1 joined the throughway to cross over the broad river. 
They passed the throughway entry ramp and the shopping center, backed up against the fast-moving highway. They cut through to the river's bank and stood looking up at the soaring meadow that arched overhead to cross the river. When Dicey realized that the bridge had no walkway, she stared out over the river. It wasn't terribly broad, but it was much too broad to swim. If there was no walkway, they would have to walk on the shoulder of the road. Someone would be sure to stop them, if they didn't get run over first. Cars and trucks and buses all hurtled over that bridge as if the devil himself was chasing them. He'd be chasing them from both directions then, Dicey thought. He'd catch you either way. Dicey crouched down where she was and buried her face in her knees. How could they go forward from here? The railroad bridge downriver had a draw section in the middle that was raised up. They couldn't cross there. It was miles and miles upriver to the next bridge. Tears welled up behind her eyes and the corners of her mouth pulled sharply down. You don't cry, she said to herself, not you. No money, no food, no way to go forward. The silence behind her told that her brothers and sister were watching her. Maybe they could just all stay right here without moving and turn to stone. Then her troubles would be over. Dicey opened her eyes and studied the darkness of her knees. There was nothing more she could do. Nothing. She had done her best, and that wasn't good enough, and now she could do no more. That was it. The end. She sighed and felt a small hand on her shoulder. Maybeth. She raised her head to look out again over the impassable river. At least it was beautiful, with curves and marshy islands and yachts moored along the edges. At least the trees that crowded up to the top of the bluff spread above them, proud and growing. A solitary, two-masted sailboat glided down the river. She watched it. Dicey, Maybeth said. Yes, Maybeth. Dicey answered without turning her head. Food, money, a way forward. They had none. What's wrong? Dicey almost laughed. What's right is what she wanted to answer, but she didn't speak. Never mind even the way forward. You couldn't get food without money, and they had none. Kids just couldn't earn money. She had yesterday. She had earned 75 cents in all. They could eat something today if they had 75 cents now. James asked, What are we going to do now? I don't know, Dicey said. So she had to earn some money, but how? There was that shopping center. It had a big parking lot and a supermarket. She pictured it carefully and then pictured herself coming out of the market with two big bags filled with groceries after she had earned money somehow. Bags filled with fruit and meat and breads and cans of vegetables and a pan to cook things. 
cook things in. And a can opener, it would be just her luck to forget the can opener. In her daydream, the dicey she saw walking out of the store with enough food for her family to eat for days, with her eyes smiling and a big grin stretching her mouth, that dicey tripped and fell. The food scattered over the ground. The wheels of cars squashed the scattered oranges and bananas. A dog took the package of hamburger meat and ran away with it. The people around went off on their own ways, carrying their own heavy bags of groceries. Was this how Mama felt? Was this why Mama ran away? because she couldn't think of anything more to do and couldn't stand any more to try to take children to take care of her children. Dicey said to herself, I'm getting as bad as Mama. Imagination doesn't do any good. Then her mind flicked back to the people with their heavy bags. That might be a way if they all did it. They might earn something. She turned her head and ran fingers through her hair. They had to look neat or people wouldn't trust them. Listen, we could carry groceries to cars out at that shopping center. People might tip us. I want to eat first, Sammy said. We can't, Dicey looked directly into his eyes. We don't have any money left. You know that. All we've got is this and she held up the white bag in which she was carrying the map. Dicey, is everything going to be all right? Sammy looked scared. Mama always reassured him whenever he was afraid or when she'd been angry because she was worried. She always smiled at him and said everything would be all right, and somehow it always was. I hope so, Dicey said. I don't know. I'll tell you, if this idea works and we can earn some money, the first thing we'll do is buy a quart of milk. The first 40 cents we have, that's a promise. The fear stayed in Sammy's eyes, but he nodded his head. Dicey tidied them up as much as possible. She had not noticed how dirty they'd become. Maybeth's hair was a tangled mess. James's hands were brown with dirt and his nails were black. And Sammy looked, well, Sammy looked like most six-year-olds, so that might be okay. Her own shorts were grubby, her knees stained, but her dark hair was always kept short, so that must look all right. They'd just have to try it. They stationed themselves outside of the entrance doors where the paper bags were brought out on a rolling belt. Maybeth looked at the people going in and coming out and shook her head. Her eyes grew big and pleading. Dicey understood. She told Maybeth to sit quiet at the far end of the belt. Maybeth nodded and ran off. She sat and didn't move a muscle, just sat quiet as if she was waiting for her mother to come and take her home. Most of the people the children approached said, No, thank you, with a kind of puzzled look, as if it didn't often happen that someone offered to carry their grocery bags. Some, especially ladies with babies, said yes with a grateful look, 
and Dicey or James or Sammy would carry huge bags out to large station wagons. The people would give them a dime or some nickels. True to her word, at the end of the first half hour, when they had 40 cents, Dicey went inside to buy milk. They ducked around the corner of the building to drink it, careful not to spill any as they poured it into their mouths. The cool, rich liquid flowed down Dicey's throat and settled gently into her stomach. The carton was soon empty. Better, Dicey asked. Better, they said. They returned to work. All afternoon they went up to strangers and asked if they would like their bags carried. Dicey learned to read the no or yes in people's eyes before they even spoke. Then, unexpectedly, the way good luck always surprises you, they had a piece of very good luck. An older man and a little girl came out of the busy store. They stood waiting for their bags to emerge from the metal doors the rolling belt used. Soon the man moved to a group of three grocery bags. The little girl followed beside him. Dicey stepped up to him. Would you like me to carry those bags? He looked at her. We've got three, he said hesitantly. My brother could help too, Dicey said. The car is across the lot by the restaurant, he said. That's okay, Dicey said. The man waited, hesitating, maybe for her to say more, to ask again. When she didn't speak, that seemed to decide him, and his eyes twinkled at her. Why not, he said to the little girl. Sure, he said to Dicey. You and your brother carry these two, and I'll take the third. Be careful, there are some eggs in there somewhere. We did remember the eggs, didn't we? Grandpa, the girl spoke, you keep asking that. Stop teasing. But Grandpa, her mouth puffed out sulky, you said I could carry a bag. You said, he shook his head at her, you said I could because I'm your helper on the boat. He ignored her. Dice ignored her too, not liking the tone of her voice. But I'm bigger than him, the girl said, pointing at Sammy. It's not fair. They walked along to the car. Sammy carried the lightest carried the lightest bag. The man and Dicey carried the heavier ones. The little girl trailed behind. To make conversation, the man asked Dicey how much money they'd earned, and she answered that they hadn't counted yet. He asked her how long they'd been at it, and when she answered all afternoon, he said she must like working. Dicey shrugged. He said he himself liked working, but he wasn't sure if he didn't like it because it made vacation so much more pleasant. Dicey smiled at this. So you're all in it together, the man said. He didn't say it nosy, but as if he was really interested in her. Dicey. Dicey wanted to answer, even though she couldn't tell him the truth. We want to get our mother a birthday present, she said. What are you thinking of getting her, he asked. She needs a new ironing board, Dicey answered. Your father can help you out a little, can't he? The man said. Dicey knew that was the way this man would do it. He's not around, she said shortly. The man just nodded.
they had come to the car. It had Pennsylvania license plates. He held the rear door open while she and Sammy put the bags inside. And then he put his own bag in. He put his hands in his pocket. How many of you are there, he asked. Four, Dicey said. He took out his wallet and gave her two dollars. That's fifty cents apiece, he said. It's too much, Dicey protested. She would not take the money. He folded the bills and stuffed them into the pocket of her shorts. That young lady is for me to say. Now scoot and good luck to you. Dicey thanked him and turned to go. By then the little girl had scuffed her way to the car. She stood up on tiptoe to speak to her grandfather, and he lifted her firmly into the car, talking to her. He was angry with her, but not rough. He plunked her down on the seat by the steering wheel. Dicey and Sammy walked away. How much did he give you, Sammy asked, as soon as they were out of earshot. Before Dicey could answer, she heard running feet and the little girl caught at her arm. Wait, she said. She held another dollar in her hand. This is from me. Grandpa said I could. Mommy gave it to me to buy her a present while I was spending the night with Grandpa on his boat. But everything was plastic and she doesn't like plastic. She says it's tacky. She'd rather I wrote her a story anyway. I can do that, and I can do that tonight. Grandpa got me some paper and crayons to keep me quiet. That's what he said. I talk a lot. Maybe I'll write her a poem because that would be shorter. So this is for your mother. I'm sorry I got mad. Dicey hesitated again. Take it, Dicey, Sammy urged. Please take it, the little girl smiled. I want you to. I do. Mommy likes my poems better than anything. She says, They're stupendous. I'm going to write one about fish because we're on a boat. Do you think fish would eat flowers? Because I write good poems about flowers. Dicey could barely keep up with the stream of chatter. She grinned and took the dollar. Okay, she said. Okay, the little girl said happily. She ran back to the car where her grandfather waited. Dicey did not watch them drive away. Good oh was all Sammy said, but he strutted back to his post by the supermarket doors. Shortly thereafter, Dicey called James and Sammy together and they counted the money they had earned. Five dollars and fifteen cents. Dicey nodded in satisfaction. That sure is an improvement, she said. She went inside to buy peanut butter, bread, and milk. She still had three eighty-five when she came out, and we got a good heavy bag, too. They returned to their wooded post, looking over the winding river. They could see only two houses, one on each side of where they sat both built low to the bluff and designed to face out over the river, both with those walls of windows that modern houses have. After they had eaten, Dicey explained the next difficulty, that they couldn't walk over the river on the bridge. She no longer felt so helpless, so she could say it without sounding defeated. They had earned money, more than enough money, <clears throat> 
and that grandfather and the little girl. Dicey didn't know why they had made her feel better, but they had, even though it wasn't going to get any easier. The tillermen sat in a row and looked down at the river flowing below. They looked at boats moored close together in marinas, or alone at the ends of long docks. Overhead, cars roared across the bridge. We could go upriver to the next bridge, James suggested. That'll take days, Dicey said. But we have but we may have to. She was reluctant to journey away from the water. She didn't want to go from far from the sound that was part of the sea. Does the river get narrow enough to swim across? I don't know, Dicey said. It would be too risky to light a fire, wouldn't it? I feel like sitting by a fire, don't you? Maybeth snuggled up to Dicey and hummed tunelessly. Dicey sat, looking down, not thinking or worrying, just feeling her full belly and her sister's warm body, watching the river water shimmer in the sun, remembering with pride how James and Sammy had worked that afternoon, wondering which boat the little girl was sleeping on and thinking those two would remember her. A melody came into her head, and she sang one of Mama's old, sad songs. The water is wide, I cannot get o'er, neither have I wings to fly. The melody floated out over the water, where she could not go. Give me a boat that will carry two, and two shall row, my love and I. The setting sun floated gold along the surface of the water. Oh, love is bonny when it is young, Dicey sang, fair as a flower when first it is new. Then she stopped. We'll take a boat, she said. Good o, Sammy said. Where will we get a boat, asked James. Where could we get a boat? All these yachts have little dinghies that go with them, so the people on the yachts can get to and from their moorings. We'll take a dinghy and row across and tie it up on the other side. I can row and so can you, James, if you have to. She led them down the steep bluff, clutching the bag with leftover food and the map in it. She wouldn't leave food or map behind again, no matter what. They slid most of the way down, bouncing on their fannies, giggling. At the foot of the bluff, Dicey turned upriver. They found a rowboat easily. It was upended on the ground beside a long, private dock. Waiting for dark, they watched nervously up the cliff to the house, whose lighted windows looked out over the Silver River. When full dark came, somebody inside pulled curtains over the long windows. Then the children stealthily approached the boat. James and Dicey carried it down to the end of the dock and lowered it noiselessly into the water. James held the painter while Dicey went back for the bag, the oars, and Maybeth and Sammy. They were accustomed to boats, so they had no trouble getting into it quietly. Maybeth sat at the bow, Sammy and James at the stern. Dicey shipped the oars and James pushed off. The boat slid away from the dock. Dicey lifted the oars in their oarlocks. She brought them down cautiously, unused to their weight. The oars bit into the black water and the boat shot ahead. 
The current carried them slightly downstream. Dicey strokes carried them across. The smooth water eased their passage. The bridge loomed overhead. Its thick pilings caused races in the current that could trap a small boat and maybe even overturn it. Dicey knew enough to simply follow these races until the boat had floated out of their currents. Then she dipped the oars once again into the dark water. The sky was dark. The air was dark, so dark that they could barely make out one another's faces. The water flowed beneath them, black and bottomless. Dicey headed for the lights on the opposite shore. It felt good to stretch the muscles in her back and arms to lean back and then pull forward against the oars. In the middle of the river, the current eased and the boat shot straight ahead. Then, as they drew near the far bank, Dicey felt the twists and eddies begin again. James directed her to a huge marina where lights burned in many buildings and in many of the small windows of the boats tied in rows along the docks. It looked sort of like a parking lot. They pulled up beside a boat that was dark and empty and tied their dinghy to its stern. Dicey thought that if she left the dinghy there, it had a good chance of being claimed or returned. They had come down close to the mouth of the river where its water flowed out into the sound. A small town lay on the low flatlands. They walked through the town to the south. It was late at night and the houses became fewer, but there was no safe place to sleep. After an hour, they were all tired and Sammy stumbled with every third step. Dicey put him on her back, giving James the grocery bag. She discovered then how much the long rowing had strained her muscles. They came to a church, shining white in the dark air. Behind it stretched a graveyard with groves of trees planted among the tombstones. Dicey turned toward the graveyard. Behind her, James drew in his breath. At the first grove of trees, Dicey put Sammy down. He was already half asleep and just curled up on the ground. Maybeth settled beside him without a word. Dicey stood, looking at James. It's a graveyard, Dicey, James said. I know, she said, but we're tired. Do you believe in ghosts, he asked. I never saw one, Dicey said. She sat down. James sat down right beside her. They could see tombstones placed in neat rows. Some of them had statues on top. I don't believe in ghosts, James said. All the same, I don't like this place. It's too quiet. Indeed, the silence was thick as fog around them. The silence vibrated, as if with things beneath it struggling to break through. Dicey yawned. She was too tired. The day had been too long for this kind of worrying. I like quiet. James flicked his eyes over the cemetery. We're all going to die, you know. Dicey nodded. Not for a long time. Do you think Mama's dead? I don't know. How could I know that? No matter what, we're all going to die, James remarked. So it doesn't matter what we do, does it? Dicey was thinking about other things, about maps and food. She didn't answer. 
unless there's a hell to punish us. But I don't think there is. I really don't. Or heaven. Or anything. Dicey? Yeah. You know, the only thing you can count on, the only thing that's always true, it's the speed of light. Lewis told me Einstein figured it out. 186,000 miles per second. That's the only sure thing. Everything else changes. I was proud of Sammy for stealing that food. You know that? So was I. You were? You sure didn't act it. You acted angry. Well, I was. Dicey, that doesn't make sense. I'm too tired to make sense, James. I'm trying to figure out where we might be. We came way downriver. We'll have sandwiches for breakfast and finish the food up so we don't have to carry it. Dicey let her mind wander. Did you ever hear Mama talk about her father, James? We had to have a grandfather, you know. Probably dead, James said. Everybody's either dead or dying. Go to sleep, James, Dicey said. That's just morbid. You'll make yourself crazy. I make myself crazy when I try to figure out a good reason why I shouldn't be morbid, James answered. Go to sleep. I don't want to. Go to sleep, please. You're not crazy. You'll never be crazy. You're just too smart for your own good. Anyone who stays awake so he can have ideas like that, well, he ought to be going to sleep. Dicey lay back and closed her eyes resolutely. James sighed.